Well, let's open up our Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 21. This morning, before I get into our study, before we read the scripture, I want you ladies to, um, those of you that are taking notes, we will be talking about the Abrahamic covenant. In our lesson this week, we were studying of the covenant, which is an agreement God made with Abraham. I have behind me the notes that I want you guys to write down because we're not going to go through all these scriptures today because our lesson is in Genesis 21. But in order for you to understand what's happening in Abraham's story, you need to know what the covenant was and how far back this goes. Another really important thing is how many here are you guys reading through one story to the next lesson? You should be going straight from Noah, and you should have probably read about 12 chapters all the way up to our story here. It's really good to do that. Number one, it's going to give you such an insight on what you're studying. You're going to be like, well, what covenant? What was that? What do you mean? How come she cried? When did she cry? Well, if you keep reading from lesson to lesson and go from last week from Noah down to Abraham, our story in Abraham is smack in the middle. But for you to understand Abraham, we need to read the very beginning and how God brought him up and how he met Sarah and how he went through Canaan. Um, contains some special, uh, the, the covenant contains some special promises of which are the promised land, which is Canaan. And uh, we all know from the story of Moses. Um, but see, now that I'm telling you, now we know that Canaan was mentioned with Abraham. But I'm going to let you guys go and read all of that. Um, number two, the promise of a son and great nation. That's found in Genesis 15, 4 and 5. The other one is the father of many nations. Here we, This is where Isaac and Ishmael and this is where it all comes together. So make sure you read up on that. And then also number four is the promise of blessing and redemption. That's Jesus. That's in Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 21, 20. That's the whole Bible. That's just the whole Bible. But I just want you guys to take this information home, go read it, go back up, and continue to read through our story until we get to our lesson today. And it's really going to help you there. So let's pray. Dear Father, we're just so thankful that we can come here, Lord, and just gleam at your word. And then if some of us here, Lord, is all we could do is just come and for 45 minutes just listen and not have our study done, that's okay. That's totally okay because I was there. I was that mom. I, I, I've been there, done that. And, Lord, we just want to just learn from you this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you pour anything out of me that's a flesh, that you just get rid of it and have it fall on deaf ears. And I pray that you just anoint your story, Lord, that it will touch the ladies here so that they will see you in the Old Testament. In your name, amen. I'm a crier, so, you know, let's just, you look at me and, your pancakes burned. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Hagar, and Ishmael. Patience, obedience, disobedience, discouragement, perseverance, and promise. Our lesson this week tells us of three great stories of Abraham. We're going to learn about the son, Isaac, two promises, one covenant, 
and God himself will provide the lamb. How many here, real quick, know the story of Abraham? Okay, kind of, sort of, because I was a kind of, sort of girl, too. In our lesson, who saw patience? Who saw that? Who saw God's patience? Who saw obedience? Can we kind of say Hagar was obedient, you know? She obeyed what she was told to do. How about disobedience? What about impatience? Sarah, impatient. Bless you. What about discouragement? I think we saw that through Abraham and Sarah. And we saw perseverance and we saw promise. Who saw a little bit of themselves? I kind of saw a lot. Before we dig into the story, it's so important that we are reading through the stories from lesson to lesson and so on. It's so important that I think that in order for us to grab the whole story, we need to just gleam from it. It's like a linking chain, and it just connects. We will see the scarlet thread through the old scripture as it points its way and leads us down the path to Christ. We see so much more of the details leading up to the story. I encourage you, as you find those moments of extra time, and really, who has that now? Like, who has extra time these days? Even just this morning, I just got bombarded with, like, three kids needing three things. And one's supposed to be in college. So, so keep reading, and until you get to our next lesson, you're going to find a lot of wows in the Bible. And always pray. Please, ladies, ask God to reveal himself to you in the scriptures. Especially as we are studying this year, Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay, like show of hands. Who wants to go to heaven? And when you see Sarah, what the heck, girl? (laughs) He lies about you two times? And then you go and you tell him to, with that? (laughs) You know? Come on, right? She's... Egyptian handmaid, I'm sure she was gorgeous, but look at how look where Sarah was at that point as we're going to go through. Did anyone here think when they were reading this part of the stories, what if she would have had a girl? And then another girl, and then another girl. And how, when is Sarah going to say enough? When are we going to say enough to the world, to Satan and his lies and his schemes? We see Sarah had a lapse of faith. She was definitely in the valley of her walk with God. We studied that last year, the valley of the shadow of death. Her valley was that she could not become pregnant. Now, this morning I'm going to backtrack just a bit. It's something that helps me when I study, and so I want to share that with you. I like to see and read the before and after of the story, so if anyone wants to come up and tell me something that's going on, I need to know, well, where were you? How did it happen? What was the color of your hair or your scarf, and was it raining? So for me to understand a story, I need to really know where it was. So just a few pointers. Did you know that the book of Genesis covers over 2,000 years? It's more than 20 generations, yet it spends one-third of its text on the life of Abraham. So let's see and look who he is. I just listed a few highlights that came to my mind, but I'm sure you guys have picked up so much more. Or maybe the same things. And you can share that in your study groups. Abraham was born in the year of 2166 before Christ. 
he was unique in the way that he is called friend of God. One whose family tree traces back to Adam and forward to Christ. We all here know that, right? Right? <laughs> he is the uncle to Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah's story. His father is Terah. Through his son Isaac comes God's promise. Through Isaac we know Joseph and the twelve tribes. Abraham is the tenth generation descendant of Noah. He was born and raised in a pagan culture. So what does that mean? What does that mean? I looked at that in our little lesson here, like, what what does that mean, Lord? Okay, well, a pagan culture is that the absence of God in your life is basically the pagan culture. Because you're worshiping something. If you're not worshiping God, Jesus, you're worshiping your shoes, my scarf, my hair. You know, if you're worshiping, what do people think of me? You know, okay, there's no God in that. So, in essence, it's kind of a pagan culture. His family was very prosperous. He was well-educated. He grew up in the city of Ur. Archaeologists have discovered evidence of a flourishing civilization, civilization there in Abraham's day. The city of Ur carried on extensive trade with its neighbors and probably had a vast library. It was pretty big. It was a moving city. He is married to Sarah. God tells his father, Terah, in chapter 11 to take his family and move to Canaan. Where do we hear that city from again? Moses. So Abraham, Canaan, starts way back before Moses gets to the picture. Abraham is one of the great characters in the Bible. Many, women, many men and women of the Bible are famous for many different things, just to name a few. Abraham, great in his faith. Moses was the great lawgiver, Ten Commandments. Joshua, the great general. We're learning about him on Wednesdays. He led the people to the promised land. David was the great king. Elijah was the great prophet. Jesus is the great savior. We know that we cannot be any of these great things, but we can be great people. We can be great women of faith. We can be great servants. We can be great prayer warriors. We might not have Abraham's faith, but we have Abraham's God. I have Abraham's God. You have Abraham's God. But we do have faith. I can buy a ticket and go to a game and guarantee that my seat that I bought is going to be there for me. I have faith that my car will take me to my destination. Or the lights will go on when I flip the switch. I have faith that even maybe my job or my husband's job is secure. So we have faith, right? But what if the light doesn't go on? What if the car doesn't start? What if my airline tickets are no good? What if I lose that job? Do I still have faith? Do you? Is it a little blurry now? Is it now just a big, okay, God, yep, here we go again. When we look at Abraham in our story lesson today, God's promise did not come to a stop. Abraham's disobedience caused a big hold on that promise. Are we holding off a huge promise and a blessing that God wants to give us because of our lack of impatience of our disobedience and I'm not going to call anybody out on any of that stuff but you know God will talk to your heart maybe our lack of faith that God knows what that he just 
doesn't know what he's doing. He's, I don't think you know, fully understand my situation. Abraham was asked to leave his country, wander in Canaan, wait years for a son, and then sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Through these periods of sharp testing, Abraham remained faithful to God. God tells Abraham, I will make you a great nation through your son. So we kind of see this little, okay, when's the nation going to happen? Because I'm old and, yeah, she's not having any babies anytime soon. Not that I've checked. Okay, but that's okay. I'll do it my way, but no, I'll do it my wife's way. Have any of you been in that situation where you're just like, all right, he's just not answering me fast enough, so I'm going to come up with my own decision. Because it's going to look really good if I make it up. How many times, too, have we been handled a difficult situation and we just messed it up? But how many times, too, truly, if we forgot about our situation because God took care of it when we moved on? We gave it to him. Here, God, this is too big for me. You take it. I'm here. You're there. How many times I can just honestly wake up and say, oh, yeah, I did have that problem last week. It's gone. Each one of us has a special trial. It will not look the same. It's God-designed. It's specifically for each one of us. Our trials are unique to who we are because we are unique in how he created us. God will always come through on his end. The question is, will we come through on ours? So what is that? What does that look like? What's my part? What's your part? To be faithful to his word, let him guide us. Stay here vertical, which is hard, and I know I get that because it's so hard these days. We are getting just trampled on with so many things coming from the enemy and the outside world, but it's so worth it. Set yourselves apart from the world. Listen, if you're blending in with the world and the ways of the world, you need to stop. Reevaluate your walk. Ask God to show you what is wrong. Show you where you need to get fixed, and he will. I like to say, check your scent. If you're not smelling like the fragrance of Christ, maybe it's time to go shopping in the Bible. Okay, so let's read Genesis 21. Let's read... Okay... Get a little ready here. Got these things going on now. Okay. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Okay, we're going to stop right there. 
So Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. And he's raising him to adulthood. 25 years of waiting on God's promise. It was a miraculous birth. It was contrary to nature. Her womb was considered dead. Paul writes in Romans 4.19, and he mentions it there. This was a wow moment for women, noticing her age. The other wow moment in a birth is what? We have Jesus, the wow moment there of being conceived of the Holy Spirit, and the other one is Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. So we see God preparing the unthinkable in people's beliefs. Sarah, a woman of faith, became the mother of a nation, an ancestor of Jesus, had trouble believing God's promise, sounds like us, tried to cover her faults by blaming others. There probably isn't anything harder to do than to wait. One way we often cope with a long wait is to begin helping God get his plan into action. Sarah tried this approach. She was too old to expect to have a child of her own. So she thought God must have something else in mind. Processing it over and over in her head, the plan looked perfect at first. We also see here that God needed to deal with Sarah and Abraham. They had to recognize for themselves that they could do nothing to help God. That it was literally impossible for them to have a child at their age. Sarah says that God has brought her laughter. She was overwhelmed with excitement. Laughter and knowing that moment of finally being a mom. If you read back in Genesis 18, it says again that Sarah laughed when she heard the Lord tell her husband that she will give him a son. Her laughter was one of silliness, questioning herself because of her age. Have you ever been so overjoyed with laughter? That's something God has done in your life. Because you can't fathom what is happening, you're overwhelmed Let's look at Isaac. He was the miracle child born to Sarah and Abraham. He was the first descendant in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Through Isaac came the twins, Jacob and Esau. This is where we get the saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's move on to verses 6 through 7. We already went through that one. Let's go for eight. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. After repeated promises, a visit by two angels, and the appearance of the Lord himself, Sarah finally cried out with surprise and joy at the birth of her son. Because of her doubt, worry, and fear, she had forfeited the peace she could have felt in God's wonderful promise to her. The way to bring peace to a troubled heart is to focus on God's promises. Trust in him. Wait on his promise. One of the principal themes we see in Genesis is the quest for children, especially sons. Those of us who have sons can familiarize ourselves with the excitement because through the birth of a son, the husband's last name carries on to the next generation. Our family tree has now have another branch. 
In the Old Testament, infertility caused great distress. The woman was always blamed. If she could not conceive, her husband could divorce her if he wanted. Sarah's desperate plan to have a child through Hagar was fully in accord to the custom and practices of those days, but it was not God's plan. This brings us to the familiar phrase, everybody is doing it. I cringe when I hear that come from my kids. I tell them, fine, but you're not doing it. I can remember with my oldest daughter, Nina, when she got her license, which was the summer of her going into 12th grade. I'm a mean mom. I don't let my kids drive because it says 16. That's just a number to me. I go with based on maturity and um, where they are spiritually with their walk, too, because um, once they get in the car and they back up and they leave, you need to know in your heart what's happening. Do they have God in front of them and behind them, and do, will they do what's right? Um, so I just needed some extra time with my kids just to make sure they get it. Do you get it? You get it. So I can remember um, she would say, well, everyone's going. And her dad would say, great, you're not. She now looks back and says, I'm so glad you and dad were strict because my friends who have no rules get into so much trouble. I kept my kids busy working on weekends. My plan was better than their plan. I could oversee God can oversee Sarah's plan. He, he saw the picture. Just like we as parents, we see the turn that our kids don't turn, on the turn that they don't see. Back to Sarah, she knew conception was from the Lord. Her own words say, the Lord has restrained me in chapter 16. Another version says, the Lord has kept me from having children. So what is she doing right here? She's blaming God. Now we're going to just blame it on God. Oh, it's your fault. One of the rituals indicating that a child was born on behalf of the woman who was not able to conceive was that during the birth, the woman would undress herself and straddle over the stomach of the woman who was having labor. The woman having the labor's face was covered up, and as soon as the baby would come out, she would pull the baby out, put it on her, and then present it to her husband. This way, the husband only sees the birth mom, which is now the one straddling. I know this sounds really oof, but that's what they did. I read that. So she would take the baby out, cut the cord, hand it. The one actually having the birth was nowhere to be seen, covered up, and kind of like pushed out to go clean herself up. Um It's also too uh, good to know on this kind of a story is that the woman who had the baby actually is kind of, uh, at this point, even though she's going to nurse the baby, she's still kind of shunned. So she's not not raising the child. She's just, you know, she's just there to do what the mother needs to do, but separately. Um, Who made that rule, right? Like, how how humiliating for the servant. Remember, after waiting 10 years for God's promise to be fulfilled, Sarah takes matters in her own hands and enlisted her husband to doubt God's word and throws her servant Hagar in the middle of the muck for a total of 25 years. Hagar, an innocent bystander, Egyptian handmaid, slave to Sarah, did not have a choice or a say in the matter of Sarah's way of thinking. Probably she wanted to say, that's not what I heard in the other tent. God clearly said you were going to have the baby. 
So being that the, um, she was a slave woman, she knew of God's word. She knew who they prayed to. She knew. But as a slave, she was doing what she was told to do. She was told to sleep with Abraham and give him an heir that Sarah will be the mother of. She obviously accepted their gods. She has seen them pray. She's heard all about what God's promise was. She's herself has talked with an angel when she left the camp when she became pregnant. And the two women quarreled so bad that Hagar left. And the angel came back and said, no, go back. Go back. She did what was told to do and now gets kicked out of the family tent and the compound. The hatred at this point was just building up. Let's look at Ishmael for a second. Born out of desperation, born from the flesh, living in a house with two jealous women. But up until now, life was good. Dad's favorite son, the promised child. So he was told, learning everything about God and his promises, getting special treatment, getting the special clothes, living in the biggest tent. For 13 years, Abraham thought Ishmael was the promised son. But he was surprised to hear his father say that God told him, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. This is where my promise lays. Okay, what just happened right there? In chapter 15, God tells Abraham, a son of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. It doesn't specify at that time it was Sarah. In chapter 16 comes along 10 years later, and Sarah suggests that she might not be the mother of this great promise, since God did not specify who the mother would be. So her suggestion is that her slave woman, Hagar, would sleep with her husband, and then Ishmael is born. We see this as the acts of flesh. In chapter 17, where God's covenant of the circumcision is announced and the change of names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. In verse 16 of that chapter, God says, I will bless her, Sarah, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. This is where we see Abraham questioning God about a son being born in his old age and in his wife's age. God says in verse 19, through Isaac is where my covenant lies. Now you can imagine what Abraham must have thought now that Ishmael is not the promised son. You can probably imagine what Ishmael probably thought now that Sarah is pregnant. The birth of Isaac must have had a devastating impact. Have you ever wondered if you were born into the wrong family? I'm sure Ishmael was very confused. His life, his position now tossed out. But here we see the nature and character of Ishmael coming out through the mocking of Isaac. Abraham makes the most minimal provisions to send out Hagar and Ishmael. He knows that Ishmael was born of the flesh and Isaac was born of the spirit. We cannot feed both flesh and spirit. It's either one or it's the other. They they can't cultivate together. And as soon, they will become a point where you'll have to make a choice in your heart. Disobedience led to the breakup of um, Abraham's family. Mother and child were left stranded. One can argue that 
the repercussions can be felt to this very day. Isaac, as we all know, is the Jewish people, and Ishmael is the father of the Arab world, the whole Middle East. Next, we're going to go skip over to our next lesson in chapter 22. Please turn with me there. God will provide himself a lamb. This story is one of the greatest stories of Abraham. God is going to ask him to sacrifice his son. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the lad go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, Father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Just then, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Okay. So Abraham and Isaac here travel about 50 to 60 miles. That's about three days. I'm quite sure it was very quiet. I'm quite sure there was a lot of questions going on in Abraham's head. quite sure there was a lot of crying. quite sure there was a lot of questions going on in Isaac's head. Why, Lord? Are you sure? Are you sure? Okay, how many times are we going to ask God, are you sure? Have you ever had those moments where God is telling you to do something and the only thing you can come back to him is, huh? What? It suddenly gets quiet in your head because you're trying very hard to hear if God is changing his mind. God's not changing his mind, ladies. He has a plan for you and you know what that plan is. And if he's touching your heart and he's tugging at it at something you know is wrong or you know that you need to do, please don't let that tugging go away because I will tell you, on my own experience, that if you let that tug go too far, he will stop tugging, and it will take a long time for you to hear God's voice. This was a very difficult time for Abraham. 
who was on his way to sacrifice his son, his only son, who God had told him, it's Isaac whom my promise lies. Right after this chapter, we are told that Sarah was 127 years old when she dies. So when you put all the numbers together, Isaac's not just a lad. Isaac is about 30, 33 years old at this point. The Bible says that God tempted Abraham, but I think we see it as God was testing him. Depends on what version your Bible is. God was testing him one more time. In James 1, let no one say he is tempted from God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Who do you love, Abraham? Do you love me more than your only son? In verse 5, Abraham tells his servants to wait here while me and the lad go and worship. Ladies, the transaction that is going to take place between Abraham and Isaac is something that can only tra- uh, take place between a father and a son. And we see that on the cross. God had shut man out at the cross. At the time of the darkness at high noon, man was shut out during those last three hours The cross became an altar on which the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, was offered. The transaction on the cross was between the Father and the Son. In this story, this is the first and only time that we see God asking for a human sacrifice. Sacrifice him. God has commanded it. Carrying the wood for the burnt offering, Isaac asking, But where is the Lamb, Father? And as Abraham looks at his son, With no words to say, Isaac knows he's the burnt offering. What faith, what obedience, what a test. Verse 12, it says, Then as he raised his knife to slay his son, he hears the words, Abraham, Abraham, here am I. Lay not thy hand upon thy lad, neither do anything unto him, for now I know that you fear God. How many times do we have to go through a test so that God will know that we fear him. It should be once or twice, but after that, if you're constantly in a test with God, that's not God's plan. He wants us to get it right the first time. What a sigh of relief for Abraham at that moment. What faith has just now increased in Abraham and in Isaac. Now God knows that Abraham fears him by his actions and by his works. Previously, it was by his faith, but now God knows. Abraham's faith produced the work, the action of sacrificing his son. God did not want Isaac to die. He wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart. There's something, a stronghold, that maybe one of you guys are holding on to. God wants you to sacrifice it in your heart. Get rid of it. He wants to know he is your God, not what it is that is tugging at you. So that he would be clear that he loved God more than he loved his promised and long-awaited son. God needed Abraham to see that. God knew that. He needed Abraham to see that. Is God asking you to sacrifice something and will you obey? In verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw a ram which was stuck in the bushes. Not a lamb. A clear distinction between the ram and the lamb. The lamb was not provided until centuries later when John the Baptist marked him and declared out and identified him. Behold the lamb of God. God sees our heart. And he knows 
if we are genuine or not. But our friends and our family only see our actions, which can fool anyone. I could sit here and I could spill out anything that will make your ears fluffy. But if my actions outside of these four walls are not what I profess that I live by, then I fooled you, but I don't fool God. God tests us not to see us fall, but to strengthen us in our faith with him, to make us stronger. The story between Abraham and Isaac clearly parallels between God and his son Jesus, God's only son whom was sacrificed for our sins. And right away we all think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We can see the scarlet thread that is woven through scriptures as we begin to see Jesus in the Old Testament. And as we read these great stories, stop and ponder when you see Jesus. Make notes in your Bibles. Highlight it. He was there. He's here. The ropes that bound Christ to the cross was his love for you and his love for me. You and I are redeemed through his blood. God paid our debt. He bought you back from this world. There is no price too high that he will not pay for. He cleared your payment. He has delivered. He has rescued. He has repurchased. And he has recovered you and me. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So if you're here this morning and you are waiting on God, my prayer for you is that you stay faithful and be obedient to his word. Take steps in obedience. Serve him while you're patiently waiting. Serve him while you're going through that trial because only you are going to go through that trial, not anyone else. It's God designed for you, and there's a purpose in it. He will hold your hand through it. He will take you through the valley. Keep your eyes on him and don't look back. Worship him while you persevere. Don't fade. Don't give up. God's promises are sure and true to his word. He has kept his promise then, and he keeps them now. He promises to love us and to accept us and to forgive us. And he loves us just the way we are, just the way you are, just the way I am. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so thankful that we could see your son Jesus in our story today. And we're just so thankful that we have this opportunity to read the Old Testament and go find you. It's, it's like a, a maze, you know. But if we stay in the Word and we can find you and we can see how it leads and we see the scarlet thread being woven in and out. And we thank you, Lord, for the women that are here today. I pray, Lord, that you just bless them as they go into their groups, Lord, and, and they just see you in the Scriptures and bless this time with them, Lord. And I also ask a special prayer. For all of the, our husbands, Lord, that are out there fighting the battle, that you just protect them and give them strength and pour your blood over them, Lord, and just be with them. And um, we love you and we thank you and just love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>